copyrighted program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. Attendance police calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 109. Be on the lookout for Jules Rubin, the kindest white American, age 26 years, 168 pounds. This man is suspected of stealing a valuable diamond brooch from Polly Moran, the moving picture actor. That's all. Santa Claus? Who? Santa Claus. Better known as the Rio Grande Oil Company. How come? What do you mean? Well, Santa Claus is always giving something to somebody, and it seems to me the Rio Grande Oil Company plays Santa Claus the year round. For example? Well, Rio Grande gives the public his Calling All Cars program free. So what? And they give away a free publication every month, the Calling All Cars News, to anyone who comes into a Rio Grande station. And uh, giving away junior detective outfits free to thousands of boys and girls. Give me more. And Rio Grande G-Gas gives the motorist the first guaranteed quality gasoline in the low-price market. Now, now, I know the rest. Don't tell me. And Rio Grande cracked gasoline gives more power, more speed. And it gives more economical miles. Don't forget that. I wasn't going to forget it. I was going to say it. And also that Rio Grande Cracks is the only gasoline that gives you police car performance. Hey, wait a minute. Who's giving this announcement? You or I? Rio Grande gives gasoline the most elaborate and most costly refining process known to create cracked gasoline. Yet, it gives the extra benefits of this extra costly process to the motorist at no extra cost. And there's one more thing that you've given us, Santa Claus. Yes, what's that? A sales truck. And now it is our pleasure to present Keith James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department, Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. The cooperation of law enforcement agencies, be they municipal, county, state, or national, is a vital necessity in our battle against crime. If every group of authorities seeks only to cover themselves with glory and refuse to cooperate with other groups, then the criminal has a distinct advantage at every turn. The brilliant success of the Department of Justice G-Men in their spectacular battle against crime was helped at every turn of their work by the wholehearted cooperation of local authorities all over the country. Individuals in county and cities who have faced their own desire for fame and publicity in their desire to see the criminal brought to justice. It is this sort of cooperation that your police department seeks to give. The story you are about to hear is an example of such tactics. Although the men under my command played a vital part in the capture of the Polly Moran jewel thief, still their part was only one of the cogs in the vast law enforcement machine which, when it functions as smoothly as it did in this case, is tantamount to a federal police force. Thank you, Chief Davis. Ladies and gentlemen, calling all causes proud to present tonight Miss Polly Moran, who we are the exciting predicament in which she found herself when she was robbed en route to Hawaii two years ago. Calling All Cars presents the Polly Moran Zoo of Robbery.
sun set on the Pacific. And against the plain rim of the western ocean, where nature is burning a day, the majestic silhouette of a luxury liner, the sea of Aloha, Honolulu down. Tomorrow morning, the lush green islands will meet the gay crowd as they emerge on deck in the sparkling Hawaiian sunlight. But this evening, aboard the Aloha, there is other sparkle. The sparkle of champagne bubbles, swimming over crystal glasses. The sparkle of diamonds on the bosoms of lovely women. The sparkle of clever conversation as a dozen world-famous celebrities stand together. It is possibly allowed in midst of the Oh, I'm uh, sorry. See, uh, I got into the wrong state room. 
Now, my wife told me not to take that last sight, Carl. Well, you'd better listen to it the next time. Yeah, I'm, I'm awfully sorry. Oh, that, that's all right, but if you don't mind, I'd like to get back to sleep. Hey, go on, go on. I'll call your trouble. And a little while later, Martin Malone comes down to the state room's dress. The alertness of the land will speedily make preparations for the cotton's dinner. As they are about to leave the room, Miss Moran is putting the last things in touch to her makeup turned to her husband. Marty, hand me my pin, will you? Yeah, sure. Where is it? In the upper right-hand drawer of that dressing table. Okay. <laughs> I can't find that, Are you sure you left it here? I certainly am. Oh, it certainly isn't here. What? Let me see. Marty, I remember now. Who must have stolen it? Who must have stolen it? While I was taking a nap, somebody came in here. I woke up and he sounded drunk and said he'd gotten into the wrong station by mistake. Who was it? I don't know. Oh, what did he look like? I don't know that either. It was dark in here. Oh, why didn't I turn on the light? Oh, Marty, I bet that man's got my pen. Oh, wait a minute. Don't get so excited. It wasn't lost. Probably he didn't put it in that drawer. Oh, yes, I did. I remember perfectly. I'll never forgive myself. That pin meant so much to me. It's the sentiment more than the value. Oh, Marty, this is terrible. My trip's ruined. Oh, Miss Moran and her husband immediately report the best of the ship's officers, who promise their wholehearted cooperation in capturing the thief. In the first officer's cabin, Miss Moran and her husband are questioned. Now, Miss Moran, do you think you or Mr. Malone suspect anyone of picking off him? Well, no, I can't imagine who would do it. Certainly nobody here acquainted with on board. Hey, Polly, how about that big fat guy from Pittsburgh who's always shooting off his face? I wouldn't put anything past him. I always have thought he was a phony. Maybe he's a phony, Mark, but I don't think he's a sneak Well, he doesn't look to me as though he belongs on a cruise like this. Oh, I don't think he'd speak that low. Well, I'll be darned if I know who to suspect. Unless, say, Polly, remember that bird who tried to crush all our parties? Oh, yes. You mean Mr. Rubin, the one who gets so rough in the desk for him. Yeah, that's the bird. Uh, what did you say his name is? Rubin's the only name I know him by. Uh, let me look at the passenger list. Mm, yes, there he is. Rubin. Jules Rubin. I wouldn't be surprised if... Uh, come in. Oh, hello, Mr. Murphy. Oh, hello, Miss. I heard about your pen being stolen, Polly. That's darn tough now. Yeah. I have an idea I can identify the thief. You have? Yes. As I was coming down the companionway this evening, about six o'clock, I saw a man come out of your station. What did he look like? Well, I I didn't see his face. His back was turned toward me, but he's short and heavy set. That's the very man we've been talking about. I'm sure he's sick of We've got to get him arrested as soon as we get into Honolulu, Marty. Ah, not so fast, Paula. If we're wrong, we can get into a nasty damage suit for false arrest. But I'm sure we're not wrong. I'm positive he's the thief. Over his loud and futile protest, Ruben's baggage is searched. While he threatens the scene supplying the devastating lawsuit, every possible hiding place in his cabin is examined. But Miss Moran's skin is not found. Mm-hmm. 
one yellow hot dog. Call in the van. First visit after she's registered in the hotel is to the office of Chief of Police Gilbert in the Honolulu. She tells the chief her story. And frankly, I'm more convinced than ever that Mr. Rubin stole my pin. That man has a guilty conscience. Don't ask me why I'm so certain, but I am. Call it a woman's intuition or what you will, but I know Jules Rubin stole my pin. Well, Miss Lorraine, we certainly do everything in our power to get it back for you. We don't like visitors to the island if he was unhappy as you are. We'll bring this Mr. Rubin in here and see if we can't make him tell the truth. So I hope there won't be any hard feelings, Mr. Rubin. I I was sure I recognized you as the man who came into my stateroom last night. I guess I was wrong, and I I just want to apologize. That's about time. Well, yes, I guess it is. You realize, I suppose, that you ruined my vacation and made you an object of suspicion everywhere I go on this island. Yes, and I, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Rubin. I should think you would be. Well, I guess there's nothing more to say. No, not that I can think of. You said it all last night. Good afternoon, Miss Moran. Why, that, that dirty computer. Come on, let's go out in that swell Hawaiian sunshine and cool off. Oh, I've never been so angry in my life. That beast, that boar. I tell you, Marty, I'm more positive than ever that he took it. I know that's the man that got my pin. Apparently, Mr. Rubin's trip was completely ruined by the accusations made against him. For when the Aloha sailed for Los Angeles the next day, he was a boarder for the return trip. Although under constant surveillance throughout the trip, he does nothing to speak. Nevertheless, he is getting to have a reception visit upon his arrival in San Pedro. For the day before the Aloha is due to dock, he's a detective grocer of the Los Angeles Police Department, receives a cablegram which causes him to send for Captain Jack Trainer of the Peterson Trader. Captain Trainer assigns detectives Indian Harrison and J.S. Holmes to meet the Aloha and arrest Ruben on suspicion of robbery. Next morning, as the beautiful white liner rides at anchor in the outer harbor, the two detectives board her from a bottom water factory. A few minutes later, the purser is pointing out routing to them. But the two officers agree that best will be in his slip. They will not arrest him until he's next put in the Los Angeles city limits. That is, until he's on the dock. So it is, as Rubin sits his way down the gangplank, Harrison and Cone are close behind him. When he steps onto the dock, Under arrest, Ruben. What? Huh? Come along quietly. Arrested me for that Tony Moran piece, huh? But you're plotting up the wrong tree. They couldn't spin it on me in Honolulu, and you can't do it here. I'm innocent. Well, that's okay with us. If you're wanted at headquarters for questioning. Now, how about it? We have to handcuff you and drag you in. Now, take your hands off me, copper. I'll go along with you, all right. <laughs> Ruben is escorted bag and baggage to City Hall, and while his luggage is being thoroughly searched, Captain Trainer and the arresting officers question him in the car. But Ruben took to his story. Listen, boys, I'm getting sick and tired of this persecution. 
I don't know anything about that sin of part of my land, and she knows I don't. Why, she apologized to me for accusing me before I left the island. How oh, come you left so suddenly? On a 12 occasion I had there. Everybody in Hawaii was pointing at me and saying I'd swipe the diamond pin. There was no sense in trying to enjoy myself in that atmosphere. What do you find in this bag, Justin? Nothing much. Clothes, jobless checks, but no diamond pin. What'd they tell you? Have you ever been arrested before? No, never. Well, uh, naturally, you won't object to being fingerprinted. I said, say I will. You can't treat me like a common criminal. Fingerprints are a good thing, Mr. Rubin. You see, we'll just take a set of elimination prints and prove to ourselves that you've never been arrested before. That is, if you're telling the truth. I'm telling the truth, and I refuse to be fingerprinted. I demand a free and attorney. You're in a funny spot to be demanding things, Rubin. Now, you'll save us all a lot of trouble and excitement by coming into the next room with me and to let fingerprints you, because whether you love it or not, that's exactly what I intend to do. Over Rubin's loud protest, he is indeed fingerprinted. And within half an hour, the letters are set. I tell you, Captain, you're hunting for a lot of trouble. When I get out of this, I'm going to burn you right. I'll slap a suit on you for false arrest at the same time that I shoot Polly Moran for defamation of character. I'm a respectable salesman, and I've never been mixed up in any crooked work. You'll see. You'll see. You know something? I just finished making a check. Oh, uh, let's see. Oh, well, so you've never been in trouble before, huh, Ruben? According to these cards, you were arrested in 1923 for suspicion of robbery. How about that? Well, it was suspicion. It didn't prove nothing. I was just a punk kid, and I thought it would be smart to steal a dame's purse. But I give it back, and she didn't prosecute. There's nothing to that, Pete. Oh? Well, how about the time in 1927 when you were accused of stealing an automobile in Lewis, New Jersey? That was all a mistake. Oh, a mistake. What do you mean? To steal the car? How much time did you say? Not a day. I tell you it was a mistake. Why don't you come clean and tell us where Paula Moran's skin is? She's a good friend of our department, and we want to get her skin back to her now. How about it? Say, I have my Paula Moran myself. I got to know her pretty well on that trip to Honolulu. If I had a pin, I'd give it back to you. But I ain't got it, and I don't know where it is. Ruben, you're lying. Now, you listen to me, Captain. I know a thing or two about the law myself. You had your fun questioning me. You dug up a couple of charges against me ten years ago. But you can't prove I ever served at eight times. You've searched me, and you haven't found a pin. You haven't got a single piece of evidence against me, and you can't hold me on suspicion any longer. You've got to prove my guilt, and you haven't proved a thing. I'm going to walk through that door out of this joint of three men, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. Am I right? I'm afraid you are, Ruben. Ruben was right, and the officer knew it. Convinced, though he might be of Ruben's guilt, he could not hold him without evidence, and of evidence he had none. So Ruben goes free. But even as he is rolling in a transcontinental stone, the net of the law is slowly closing in on him. The next morning, a New York City detective named Wesley Zuber points out an interesting news item to his partner, Detective Edward Orbacher, as they report for duty. Hello. Take a look at this story in this morning's paper. What? Oh, this one here about Paul Moran having a diamond pin stolen from her on the steamship of Loa? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I read it. What about it? Do you suppose that this guy the Los Angeles bitch had to let go is the bug we've been looking for for those steamship burglaries the past few months? Oh, they like to that the guy who worked here at Atlantic in the Pacific. Well, I think it's worth a try. What do you going to do? 
Check those steamship lines of reported robberies and see if the name Jules Rubin appears on the passenger list. Days inquiry informs the officers that the main Jews Rubin has appeared on six different passenger lists during the preceding three months. And on every boat on which Rubin has sailed, regularly have occurred. This thing definitely arrived, where Bob and Jubal expect all steamship companies operating on the West Coast, the East Coast, and the Great Lakes to report if one Jews Rubin took passage on any one of their boats. They have not long to wait, for within a week the phone rings on Jubal's death. Detective Rowe, Rubin speaking. Tell him, Rubin, this is the home boss. Come to the private manager of the media at East Coast Institute. Yes. Have you requested information regarding one Jules Rubin? Yes. And Mr. Jules Rubin and wife have booked traffic from New York to Nashville for the office on the podium. Thank you, sir. Yes. Go out tomorrow. Good. Is there a problem next to Mr. Rubin for a Mr. Edward Obacher? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Okay, well, thank you. What is this? They're taking a trip to Nashville, son. What? Yeah. Our Mr. Rubin stole day after tomorrow on the Hamiltonian. And you're going to become his best friend on the trip, you lucky stiff. Well, that's well, but why don't you take the trip yourself? You'd better hit that sort of thing. Well, that better. If I could, I would. But I'll get her appearing court on Monday and at my letter, too. But that's yours, Eddie. Fix it in and knock him over as soon as he pulls a job. <laughs> Ruben pulls no jobs on this voyage, and her daughter must remain content only to make the acquaintance and not the arrest of the gentleman. Back in New York once more, Jubal and her daughter shadow Ruben and his wife to their hotel, and through the nearby room, install a dictaphone behind the gate, learn that Ruben is leaving the next day for San Francisco. The officers watch him as he boards the westbound bus, and then returns to the hotel. You think he ought to let him get out of town, Eddie? Sure, we haven't anything on him. Give him enough rope and he'll hang himself. Well, if he won't be there to dress the rope, well, we'll do the next best thing. What? I'm going to get wires off to Batista Police in Buffalo, Detroit, Chicago, Omaha, Salt Lake City, San Francisco, and every other town of the size along the east at bus station. I'll get him with him to Skipton. Ask him to shadow him if he leaves the bus in their city. That boy doesn't know it, but he's going to have more police attention than the President of the United States on his transcendental trip. Telegrams go out and for nearly a week, there is no answer. Then the New York police headquarters come to reply. The detective Lieutenant Edward L. Backer, New York Police Department, New York City. Your man arrived here by bus this morning, registered at the Golden West Hotel, went aboard the steamship Aloha, and the visitors passed this afternoon. Remained about a half hour. Then checked out of hotel and purchased a railway ticket to New York. Left Oakland here on eastbound train at 8.35 tonight. Inspector Thomas McNulty, San Francisco Police Department. On the board that eastbound train, the the ferries late one night further. Oh, 
In Chicago, when Jules Dugan changes trains and boards the train Century Limited for New York, every move he makes is watched by railroad and city police.
While Reuben remains in the federal detention prison awaiting trial, the subject of their journeys left to recover some of the stolen property, among which is Miss Moran's throat. Finally, one day in November 1934, three months after Paul Moran's lucky throat disappeared, Detective Herbacher handed back to her in a dressing room in the Capitol Theater in New York while she is making personal appearance. I don't know what to say to you, Lieutenant Herbacher. Really, I don't know how to thank you. No need to, Miss Moran. This is part of our job. Very happy part, I admit. When we can return to people with things we've lost. Well, there's only one thing I have to say, Molly. Well, what is it, Chris? I'm sorry I ever apologized to that guy, Reuben. I knew he had my pin all the time. Jules Reuben went on trial in the United States court, as most of his crimes were committed upon the high seas. And on October 8th, 1934, he was sentenced to serve two years on the charge of theft committed on an interstate passenger train. An additional two-year suspended sentence was imposed for the theft of Miss Moran's boat while on board the Honolulu bound steamer. Thank you, Chief Davis. This was one calling all cars program without stops and screams and sirens and speeding police cars. But there are very few communities where you cannot hear right now the shriek of the sirens as ambulances and fire engines speed to the rescue, or police cars pursuit on lawbreaker. More of these cars are using Rio Grande cracked gasoline than any other brand. And Rio Grande was chosen because it gives better performance in emergency. For you thousands of motorists who now have your tanks full of Rio Grande cracked gasoline, police car performance means safer driving. You always have the power and speed to snatch your car out of danger in traffic emergency. Drive carefully so you won't need the help of police, but can enjoy police car performance in your own car.